0: Welcome to Breen Calvert Chapel, I'm so blessed each one of you are here, and I pray the Lord speaks to you through his word. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are for who who you are, the Savior of the universe. You created all things, and in you all things consist or exist. And therefore, in your love, you desire to have your special creation man to be in intimate fellowship with you. And for that reason, you gave your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And how thankful we are for Jesus Christ, your Son, how thankful we are for our salvation, and Lord, for the fact that you've called each one of us into ministry. We are to make disciples of all nations, and I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us that spirit of evangelism, that everywhere we go, we would share the truth of your word. Now, Father, come and use me, because how very aware I am that I'm simply an unworthy servant. But use me to minister your word, your truth, to these, your precious people, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, it's so hard for me to use this. Is it getting warm in here, or is it just me? Of course, i got a coat on. It is getting warm? Yeah, maybe we should cool it off a little bit, whoever is in charge of those kinds of things, Doug. I mean, I mean. <laughs> um, there's, there's a women's sign-up sheet on the bulletin board in the back for the women's luncheon, and it's also uh, a place where you can choose what meal you want. So for any of you ladies who uh, would like to go to the women's luncheon, put your name down and also make your choice. And also, this Thursday, the 24th, at the Gathering Place, which used to be North Syracuse Baptist, uh, New Hope is having their, their uh, presentation. And uh, the MVP for the uh, New England Patriots is going to be the main speaker. And so we encourage each one of you to come and support New Hope Pregnancy Crisis Center. It is uh, such a valuable organization as far as helping you know, young women make right choices. And so I encourage you to come to that as well. Okay, we are in Deuteronomy chapter 2. Chapter? Yes. 26. <laughs> 26. Oh, I don't have it up here. Um, th- Twenty-sixth Saturday, Shopping Town, 5 to 9. And uh, what it is, it's, it's going to be um, people praying for our nation, gathering together that uh, uh, we all recognize everything is happening and how this, you know, people are, are, are going crazy, and they need the Lord, and so this is going to be a time that everyone's coming together, and I, I understand it's going to be in the cars outside in the parking lot, and they're going to have music and, and uh, um, you know, some teachings and, and even some food, right? Yeah, so basically that. So we encourage you, I think there's a flyer on the bulletin board, so you can take a look at it. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 2. You know, a a portion of Scripture that you often hear me quoting is this, Romans 15, 2. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And so when it's saying everything that was written in the past was written for our learning, it's not just an encouragement for us to memorize Scripture or certain portions of Scripture, but it's to understand the points that are being made in these portions of Scripture, and how they apply to us personally. For instance, one of the things Frank and I try to do in our expositional preaching is we take portions of Scripture, and what we attempt to do is to show you how it applies to your life and what the Lord might be speaking to you. Now, in Deuteronomy... Chapter 2, starting with verse 16. Follow along, please. So it was when all the men of war had finally, I love this, had finally perished. Good thing now. No, had finally perished from among, among the people that the Lord spoke to me saying, This day you are to cross over at Ar, the boundary of Moab. And when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession "...because I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession." That was also regarded as a land of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there, but the Ammonites called them Zamumimim, a people of great uh, great and numerous as tall as Anakin. But the Lord destroyed them before them and dispossessed them and dwelt in their place." Verse 22, just as he had done for the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Seir when he destroyed the Horites from before them. They dispossessed them and dwelt in their place even to this day. And the Avium who dwelt in villages as far as Gaza and the Cathorium who came from Kapthor, destroyed them and dwelt in their place. Rise, take your journey, and cross over the river Arnon, Look, I have given it into your hand into, I have given into your hand Sihon, the Amorite king of Heshbon and his land. Begin to possess it and begin and begin and engage him in battle. Look at verse twenty five. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. Amazing portion of scripture it starts off by telling us when all the men of war had perished. We have to understand what this is referring to. Very early uh, in their journeys when they crossed over, they sent spies to cross over into the promised land. And remember we talked about it last week, it was really one of their first signs of unbelief. Because Moses said, go in and possess the land. That's what God had shown Moses. You just go in and possess the land. But the people said, well, you know what? Maybe we should send spies in first. And they were really being deceptive because they were saying to see how strategically we could enter in. And really what they wanted to find out is are we strong enough to take the land? And that was a sign of unbelief because God had already told them, I'm giving you the land. And if God be for us, who can be against us? And so these spies came in, and we all know this account. They came back, and they reported to Moses and all the leaders of Israel. And two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, Hey, the Lord's given us the land. Let's go in and take it. But then the other ten spies said, Well, the land is flowing with milk and honey. And look at we've even brought back some of its fruit. So they were testifying that the land was exactly like God told Moses... But yet they were saying, but, but, they said, and that's the problem that we all run into every time we add a but to whatever we're saying, it means that we really don't want to do it. But, they said, the land has giants in them. We look like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so they discouraged the people from wanting to go in. So in, in a sense, the rest of Israel said, I'm not going in to fight against those giants. And so all the fighting men, in other words, those that at that time the report came back that were 20 years of age and older. Those, those were considered fighting men. God said, you're not going to go in because of your unbelief. But your children will go in and possess the land. And that's where we are at this time. When it says, finally. It's interesting that it says that. That all the men of fighting age had died. In other words, finally the time had come for them to pass over, that God's judgment on these, fight, on these fighting men was complete, and now you need to go in and possess the land. Now, one of the things that we I, I like to emphasize anyway is that there's nothing that indicates that all these fighting men that died in the wilderness became unbelievers. I mean, I don't know for sure, but it doesn't indicate that they became unbelievers. I think what it's, what it's referring to is the fact that they, in their fear, were not able to complete what God had told them to do. And we have to realize that sometimes fear can be one of our greatest enemies. Maybe the Lord is saying, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. In a sense, go possess the land. And yet we're, we start thinking, well, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do that. You know, look, at, there's all kinds of giants there. Look at, In other words, obstacles, all kinds of difficulties. I don't know if I can do that. Here's the point, if God told you to do it, you will do it. You'll have the victory. And so we don't want to be like the children of Israel who doubted God. If God told us to do something, we need to do it, knowing that he's going to be with us. Now, it's also um, interesting that there are so many things in our life that we know the Lord wants us to do, but there's kind of you know, some fear. Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if? We have to realize doubt and fear are of the flesh and it's stimulated by Satan. Scripture tells us Satan is a liar and a deceiver. And so when he's considered a liar, it's because he's telling us to do very possibly the opposite thing God called us to do. And so when the Lord has called you to do something, do it in faith, in trust, in the strength of the Lord. Because fear can cause us to make so many decisions based on emotion rather than faith, and it causes us to make decisions based on the flesh rather than God's leading. You know, how many times have, have maybe you've even said to other people or to yourself, well, I, I, I just can't do that. Sure, you probably you can't. Right, you can't. But if God told you to do it, it's not going to be you. It's going to be him. It's going to be his strength that's going to give you the victory you're looking for. And, um, well, what are real men and women of Courage. It's men and women who are willing to serve God, no matter what the circumstances might look like before them. It's men and women, no matter what the obstacles and how insurmountable they seem to be, they're willing to move forward simply at the command of God. You know, what a wonderful thing it would be, as Scripture tells us, to just be able to be moved by the turn of His eye. And if God, you know, has spoken something to us, we need to simply do it. If God be for us, who can be against us? And that's the hope that we have in the Lord. And uh, so this is the one thing that gives men real courage. Trusting God and knowing that our life is not our own and life is not about this life. Did you know that life isn't about this life? It's about the life to come. Everybody lives this life as if this is it. Well, I got to gather this together. I got to gather that together. I got to go here. I got to go there. I got to do everything I can. And it's not about this life. This life is empty and will give you nothing. The highest suicide rate is among the most successful people. You know, some people look at movie stars, and you see them on all the scandal sheets that are all over the grocery stores and all over the place and all over the Internet, and and people look at movie stars and say, Oh, I, I wish I could be like them. I don't. Look at how miserable they are. They're in and out of this institution, in and out of that institution. They've been married 146,000 times, you know, and they don't even know who's who. And I mean, it's who wants to live that kind of life? So we have to understand life is not about this life, but about the life to come. And when we understand it's about the life to come, all fear is removed. Because very honestly, very honestly, okay, what is the thing that most people fear the most? Tell me. Death. As a believer, there is no death. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that lives and believes in me, what? Never dies. Well, what does that mean? Your body might fall to the ground, but you don't die. We're made up of three parts. And it's important for me to share this with you because a little later on uh, we'll go into uh, some detail on it. But we are body, soul, and spirit. Our body, our physical body, this is our, the machine, this is the vehicle of which we operate and we move around in. And then we have a soul. And our soul, our conscious, uh, it's our self-awareness. Our soul is our self-awareness of who we are. We're all different, thankfully. I'm glad we're not all the same, you know, you know hi, hi, bye, bye, you know. I'm glad we're all all different. And that's our soulish personality. It's it's who we are as an individual. It's our self-identity. But then we have a spirit. And the spiritual part of man is that which is able to relate to God. We worship him in spirit and in truth. And so when you and I are made alive, it literally means quickened, means made alive. Our spirit is woken up, we're able to worship the Lord and to be in communion with Him. And it should always work from the top down. Our spirit in communion with God should operate our personality, which you know, motivates our body to do whatever God has called us to do. Now, in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says this, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and a sound mind. Wow. He's gave us a spirit of power. The Greek word that is used there for power is dunamis. It's the same word we get dynamite from. It simply means the ability to do. To do what? Whatever God's called us to do. He's given us the power by his spirit to do whatever he calls us to do. And we have to also understand that he has also given us an agapeos love for others. You know, you have eros love, which is, you know, physical kind of love. And you have phileo love, which is kind of brotherly love, you know, that we have for humanity and mankind. But then there's an agapeos love. No man or woman has agapeos love outside of Jesus Christ. Agapeos love is completely unconditional. I love you Because, no, I love you. Simple as that. I love you. How easy is it for us to get attitudes towards certain people, towards certain groups? You know what I'm saying? And that's not of the Lord. It's one thing to maybe have a different political view than someone else, but it's another thing to hate them for it. Because in God's sight, there's only two kinds of people in the world those that are saved, and those that need to be saved. That's it. And it's our responsibility to bring the message of salvation to the lost. And how can we do that outside of the agapios love of God? That unconditional love, just wanting to bring people into the faith, into the fold. And that's why I love in Philippians 3.13, it says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, how many things can he do through Christ that strengthens him? All. That word in the Greek is all-inclusive. In other words, it means all things, whatever it is. Jesus said, if you had faith and you say to this mountain, move and go henceforth over there, as faith is a mustard seed, it would obey you. Now, that was an analogy. He didn't literally mean that we should be going around saying, mountains, move, move. He's talking about mountains in the sense of difficulties, in the sense of all the challenges of life we have. And we can say, in the name of Jesus, that mountain's going to move. That problem's going to be resolved. That situation is going to be corrected. How many times have we seen, seen God work in ways that we can't even imagine? I find it interesting, too, that we find more than one nation that had to dispossess giants. We find that the descendants of Esau, we just read it, they dispossessed giants. Nephilim, we'll get into that in a moment. And then we find that also the descendants of Lot, who were righteous, dispossessed giants. And now we're going to find, we're getting into it, that the children of Israel are going to go in and dispossess giants. And I couldn't help thinking, how often does God lead us to have victory over our giants. You know, you think of David and Goliath, and uh, Goliath was a giant. He wasn't a real tall guy. You know, they give the measurements in, in Scripture, and so many people say, oh, he was about eight or nine feet tall. No, he was about 13 feet tall. His head would be touching the middle part of the ceiling. That's a giant. I mean, look at me. I'm six three maybe three, but anyway, look at how how big that is, up to the corner of that, I mean, you're talking about a giant, and remember how David defeated Goliath? How did he defeat Goliath? With a stone? Wrong. David said to Goliath, you probably said it, I can't hear very well, so you probably all gave the answer and I didn't hear it, but I'm just going to pretend you gave the wrong answer. Um, but you know, if you're saying stone, but what did David say to Goliath? He says, "You come against me with sword and spear, but but I come against you in the name of the Lord." And so, when he swung that stone around, that sling around, and, and slung that stone at Goliath, it was faith. It was the Lord who gave the victory, not the stone. And so, we have giants that come into our lives. What it might be, I don't know. It might be sickness. It might be relationship problems. I don't know what it is. Maybe employment. I don't know what it is. But we have giants that come into our lives. And let me tell you something giants always want to scare us. Giants always want to scare us. But we can't be frightened by giants because we have the Lord. And we can come against our giants in the name of the Lord, and we can have the victory. It's so amazing if we just recognize the promises of God. And we're going to find as we continue on, when Israel was entering into the land, they ran into a lot of giants. And guess what? They just simply defeated them because of the strength of the Lord. And, you know, one of the things I I wrote here, a little note, sometimes in life, it's not a matter of killing a giant It's a matter of overcoming it. Because let's say a giant in your life is your boss. You don't go in with a swinging stone. That wouldn't be good. But let's say a giant in your life is your boss who really just seems to give you a hard time. In Jesus Christ, you can have the victory in having a calm attitude towards them, in having a loving attitude towards them. You know what I'm saying? So we have to understand what God wants to give us. Now, these giants that are have talked about here were the sons of the Nephilim. And we're going to look at Scripture. I don't want you to think this is just something I made up or this is one of those conspiracy theories. You know, turn to my channel. And I, I'm going to sh- show you what's in Scripture. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 6 and go to verse 1. And remember, the word that is giant, for giant that is used here, and I'll give you the definitions in a moment, But the word for giant here isn't just talking about a tall guy. You know, like we see people today, we see basketball players that are, you know, seven foot whatever, and we say, well, they're a giant. No, they're not a giant. A real giant could take the, you know, our seven foot eight or whatever it is, basketball player, and pick them up by the head. These were real giants. Genesis 6, starting with verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 first. Now it came to pass when man began to multiply in the face of the earth, this is after the God, after the creation, and, and remember they were driven out of the garden because of the fall, and daughters were born to them, women born to these men, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves among all whom they choose, chose. Now, it's actually not a good word. They said they took wives. Because when you think of a wife, you think, oh, nice wedding ceremony, and the bride's wearing you know, a veil and stuff like that. Oh, isn't it nice these giants proposed and married these women? It doesn't mean that at all. As a matter of fact, the word here for wife is literally in the Hebrew is isha. Man is ish, woman is isha. He created them, ish and isha. And isha, which is the word, simply means Woman. And Esha means, literally, like man. And man is not in the masculine tense in the Hebrew. It's just talking about mankind. In other words, woman is like man in the sense she's mankind. She's part of mankind. But Esha is the word that is used in the Hebrew to refer to a woman. So it says they took women as many as they desired, not wives. I think that's important to understand. And... um, For themselves all whom they desire. Now go down to verse four in chapter six. In chapter six, Genesis six, go down to verse four. There were giants, Nephilim in the Hebrew, which is also translated tyrant, an unsurmountable tyrant. In other words, a huge tyrant on the earth in those days, and also afterwards. So we know that these Nephilim were also on the earth after the flood and that's what they're facing now going into the promised land. And afterwards and also when the sons of God and it's interesting when it talks about here the sons of God it's benai ha elohim benai ha elohim and it literally means fallen angels. Fallen angels. "...came into the daughters of men, and they bore children of them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent and the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth." Both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, before I continue, I want you to move down to verse 9 of Genesis 6. Genesis 6, verse 9. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. Now, that word perfect means pure. It's taken from the Hebrew word that means pure. In other words, he was genetically pure. He was perfect in his generation. He had no impurities genetically that had come in to him probably through these uh, relationships we're talking about with fallen, with fallen angels. And uh, so, we have to realize that Satan was at work corrupting the gene pool of man from the beginning. Why? Because what did God promise from the very beginning of Genesis after the fall of man? What did God promise? A Savior would come. The Messiah would come. And the Messiah would be born of man. A child is born unto you. A son is given, Isaiah tells us. So, the Messiah would be born of men, of man. Therefore, what Satan wanted to do was corrupt a gene pool so that the Messiah couldn't come. Satan always wants to destroy the works of God and the word of God in order to prove himself right, and it just is not ever going to happen. Satan wanted to destroy Israel. How many times are we going to read in the Old Testament that an attempt was made to destroy all of Israel because Satan was trying to present them prevent the Messiah from coming through the line of Judah, son of David. And so we have to realize that this is what's going on. Satan wanted to corrupt the gene pool so that no Messiah could be born. And, um, but God keeps his promises. And uh, even when the children of promise don't do everything he told them to do. But God keeps his promise. And God has promised not only that the Messiah would come, For our salvation, that you and I might be born again of the Spirit, but the Messiah has come, that you and I also might be renewed to God. One day we'll all be with the Lord, either at death or the rapture. And read 1 Corinthians 15. You should read it every week. You know, this corruptible is going to put on incorruptible. This mortal is going to put on immortality. This imperfection is going to put on perfection. God is going to give us one day a glorified bodies a glorified body. Our spirit has been made alive in relationship to God when we're born again and we have that relationship with Him. But what prevents us from worshiping God the way we would like to? This stinking body. Right? All the temptations that come our way are just, there's no temptation except that which is of the flesh. You know, all the temptations that come our way. I want this. I want that. You know, I, I want to be satisfied of our soul and, and, you know, our human identity and our flesh wants to be satisfied. I want to be someone. Well, here's the thing. Scripture tells us we should desire to be no one. No one. I don't want to be anybody but a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't want to be anyone except the servant of God. You see what I'm saying? And, uh, When we're willing to fight, even our giants, understand God is with us. Now, one of the reasons that I shared this about the giants and the corrupted gene pool, and like I said, you had the descendants of Esau, descendants of Lot, and now we're going to have the descendants of Isaac, the children of Israel, all are facing giants to go in and dispossess them from their land. And the reason I share this is because sometimes we read in Scripture where God tells the children of Israel to go in among the Canaanites and to destroy them all. And we think, oh, why is that? I think because they'd been corrupted spiritually as well by the fact that I believed that they were Nephilim. They were the offspring of fallen angels. And that Gene pool had just gone through the land. Because if you do any study of the pagan practices of the Canaanites and also these other lands that were conquered, that were filled with giants, their practices were absolutely 100% de- demonic. 100% demonic. They used to take newborn babies and bury them in their walls for protection, they thought it would give them extra protection. When you talk about the worship of Baal, it was a golden statue that had arms out and a hollow belly that they would set a fire in so that the arms would grow red hot, and that's what they'd place the babies in as a sacrifice. They were absolutely pagan. They had no understanding of marriage. I mean, it was just free lust and every other thing, drunkenness. That was their their lifestyle. And I believe it's because they were corrupted as a people. Much deeper than just, you know, wrong teachings and attitudes. I think it was more of, a, of a, actually a spiritual thing. Because you have fallen angels coming with women and their offspring would not be what we would call fully human. And that helps us understand why God might give that command. Go in and destroy them all and possess the land. In Second Chronicles, chapter 20, verse 15, it says, and he said, speaking, um, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, we'll be getting into this when we get into Chronicles, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, the, the battle that they're going into, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And how we have to remember that. The battle is not ours. It's the Lord's. And we all face battles. Every day we face battles. It might be the temptations of our own heart. It might be relationship problems. It might be work-related problems. It might be financial problems. It might be emotional problems. We all face problems. But we have to understand the battle is the Lord's. And in the end, he gives us the victory. In the end, he gives all of us the victory. You know, I'm 75 years old, which isn't that old. It's pretty young today. But the thing is, I have a lot fewer uh, years ahead of me than I do behind me, right? I don't know too many people who live to be 150, but anyway, the point is, if I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So death is no longer my fear. We shouldn't have that fear as believers. I mean, obviously, it's sad when there is someone that we love that maybe the Lord takes. It's very sad that we don't have that physical communication and relationship with them anymore. But the reality is we will be together for all eternity. Can you imagine that great multitude? You know, and the dead dead in Christ shall rise first, talking about physical death. And we who are alive and remain, those that are still walking around, shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall be with the Lord forevermore. What a glorious day. this! Remember the old hymn? You know, what a glorious day it'll be when we all get to heaven. You know, you know that song. Only those of you that can carry a tune might recognize it a little bit easier than when I'm doing it. Isn't it funny? Um, everyone says that Frank, my son and I, sound so much alike on the phone, they have a hard time telling our voices apart. But all they have to do is have us sing, and they can tell our voices apart in just a a second. I can't sing. I sing loud, and I love to sing, but I throw... You know, know, the the worship team has to tell me, Pastor, don't sing quite as loud. You really throw us off key. So I'm going, anyway. (laughs) Now... Also notice that even before the battle began, God was already working on their behalf because he was putting dread in the hearts of all their enemies. And in the same way, if the Lord calls us, you and I, to do something, he's already working in our behalf. If the Lord's called you to do something, you're thinking, I don't know how that can be done. Of course you don't because you don't know how it can be done, but the Lord can do it and he's already working on your behalf. And so that's what we have to Remember? is that God is, if God be before you, who can be against you? God is always for us as his children. And so we need to keep our focus on him and not on the problems and the things of this world. Because I'll tell you why, you look around this world and it's getting pretty crazy, isn't it? I mean, I think it's getting insane. And, 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 you know it's not just the whole covid-19 thing it's just that that is just one more tool that's being used in order to cause this world to just go spiraling out of all kinds of craziness but this world is insane and the only hope for anyone in this in this world is jesus christ and there's no one exempt from that hope scripture says anyone That means anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone. And that's why I always encourage people, if you come in here and you're not really born again, you know, maybe a lot of you are, most of you are, I hope. (laughs) No, most of you are. But there are some that might come in here visiting and they, they really don't know Jesus. It's not a complicated thing. God, forgive me a sinner. I want you to come in and take over my heart and my life. And he will. Well, that sounds too simple. If it was any more complicated, we couldn't do it. God came to make it simple. And it's so interesting because when Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room, we're going going to be sharing communion in a moment. When he met with his disciples in the upper room uh, to share what he called the Lord's table, he made it very clear that his body, his perfect, sinless body was going to be broken for them. And that's why we use matzah and it's unleavened bread. And and Pastor Frank Jr. got into this in the first service. Leaven, all through scripture, is analogous to sin. So the fact that bread was unleavened means without sin. Jesus said, this is my body without sin, which is broken for you. And Jesus allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed for no other reason than love. No other reason than love. He had nothing to accomplish accomplish except for his love for us for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life so god loves us he loves you he loves me and so therefore when we share communion it's a reminder we have in our communion table in remembrance of me and that's taken from corinthians as often as you 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 know we share this meal we do it in remembrance of him what do we remember that God loved us so much that he came to earth in the flesh and died that we would have relationship with him. That's the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so when we share communion, it's a testimony of our belief in that love, in that work of grace that God has given freely to each one of us. And so I'm going to have the ushers come forward and we'll pass... Pass out the elements, and once everyone has received it, we'll share it together. Um, my son often calls this the meal that heals. <laughs> Brothers,
1: for me hallelujah for the cross and on that day the world was changed a final perfect lamb was slain let earth and heaven now proclaim hallelujah for the cross
0: Before we share in this communion, I wanna to, want to share with all the young people. Understand you're not saved because your parents are. If you want to be saved, you have to commit your life to Jesus Christ. My son, there in the back, Pastor Frank Junior, when he was three years old, he knelt down, listening to a record, and prayed the sinner's prayer and gave his life to Jesus Christ so we have to understand salvation is free it's a gift of god but it's something that we have to receive each one of us individually any child that dies before the age of accountability scripture makes clear goes to heaven he carries the little lambs in his arms it tells us in psalms so understand that but if you're a child or a young person here and you're beyond that age of of, you want you know you understand right and wrong give your life to jesus christ committed to him and for those of us for those of us that are saved what a promise this is what a promise this is that Jesus Christ shed his blood his body was broken on that tree for no other reason than love there's a song I don't know how it goes my, my wife obviously loves music but, and, and it says it was love that held him there what held Jesus to the cross it wasn't the nails it was love Jesus made the point when he was being tried, he said, look, he said, if I wanted to, I could call 12 legions of my father's angels. Two angels killed 188,000 Babylonians. Guess what a legion of angels could do? So Jesus died freely on the cross because he knew that only by the shedding of his innocent blood and by the giving of his life could mankind be saved. And so that's why it tells us he so loved the world. And so when we take communion, it's an act of love. It's our love back to him. We love him because he what? First loved us. So this is an act of love, saying, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for everything you've done for me. And so, brothers and sisters, take and eat and drink and be thankful to your God. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all your promises. And Lord, I thank you for each person that's here. Lord, we're family. We're part of the family of God. And I ask that your blessings would fall upon them. Those that aren't saved, that this would be the day that they would commit their lives to you. And let your Holy Spirit guide us in every direction and every walk and every step we take. And I pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And God bless you, my dear friends.